Amen. Y'all may take a seat. If you have your Bibles, we believe in the inspired Word of God here at Calvary. And so if you have your Bibles, your phones, go ahead and look into John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is where we will be for the majority of this semester. John chapter 6. I'm super excited for this semester. Uh, as we covered in our, in our vision cast, is what we're calling it, uh, at the beginning of, of our gathering, when we read Colossians, we want to be uh, a ministry where every young adult would be disciples, okay, filled with the knowledge of the Lord, walking in the Spirit, bearing fruit to the glory of the Father. And that's what our desire is for you as a Calvary a young adult or a young professional, is that you would be a disciple that's filled with the knowledge that's rooted in Scripture, right? Um, walking in the Spirit, always being sensitive to what God is telling you, just kind of like the experience that Karina had that she shared with as she read her word. Ultimately, though, to bear fruit. But for whose glory? For God's glory. That is what our heart's desire is, is that you would know that you're loved, specifically by someone that will love you better than anyone else could ever love you, someone who embodies love himself. And of course, we're talking about Jesus here, okay? That is who we're talking about. That is what we base our lives around. That is who we submit to, right? Jesus is someone that we desire to be the center of everything, okay? We, we do that not just because of what he's done for us, right? Dying, resurrecting, redeeming us, but because of who he is and because of the fact that he is worthy of us for him to be the center of everything of our lives. And that is why we're starting with a series, as you see behind me, based on the I am's of Jesus in the book of John, the I am's of Jesus. Okay. Jesus claimed to be a lot of things. Okay. He claimed to be a lot of things while he lived his life on this earth and during uh, his, his years in ministry. And that ultimately, those bold claims that he, that he would share led to his death, okay? Ultimately, the, how Jesus identified himself and who he claimed he was led to his death, right? I can't imagine myself being put to death over claiming just to be someone, right? So usually when you meet someone or when uh, you introduce yourself to someone new, you say, hey, I am whatever, Right? For me, I say, my name is Eli Wright, and I am a student and young adult pastor at Calvary Baptist Church, right? Maybe for you, you say, hey, my name is Caleb, and I am a student at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, right? Oh, my name is uh, Emma, and I'm a, a, a dental hygienist, right? If, if, I don't know if I said that correctly, but, but I am this, I am that, right? I'm a bank teller, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a spouse, I'm a husband, whatever it is, right? And usually... What comes after I am is what you, define, you identify as or describe yourself as, right? That's what it is. I am, fill in the blank. But whatever's filled in the blank is what ultimately defines you. Yet remarkably in scripture, we see how significant the phrase I am actually is. Okay? Because of the one who said it and because what follows is literally nothing. If you bear with me just for a moment, just so we can get a little bit of context before jumping into uh, the I am that we're talking, the I am that Jesus talks about uh, today that we're going to talk about. When you study Jewish culture, okay, you will see that God actually audibly, right, introduces Himself for the very first time to the world through a burning bush. Right? You you look at the story in Exodus. 
Okay, Moses, you know, the guy who, who parted the Red Sea, he's the one who a lot of people know about, right? Ultimately, he was spoken to by God in the form of a burning bush, right? God was commanding Moses on what to do. And Moses goes, okay, well, who, who should I say sent me to them? All these things that you're asking me to do, who, who, who should I say you are? And how does God respond? He responds by saying, I am who I am. That's it. I am who I am. And so you tell them that I am sends you. I am. He is the self-sufficient, self-sustaining God who was, who is, and who will be. He doesn't need to add anything else after I am. Because that's who he is. I am. That's how bad he is. You know what I'm saying? I am who I am. And that's it. But yet, we're going to see... In, in John chapter 6, that Jesus actually graciously and lovingly chooses to reveal more of himself to those that are following him and to those that don't know him yet. These are the I am's of Jesus. And so when Jesus claims to use, when he, when he uses the word, the phrase I am, people who have been in the Jewish culture and know about the Old Testament, that's, that's what they abided by, right? The law and, and the traditions, and they know when they hear I am. You don't even say that name. You're not supposed to say that name. You don't say I am, okay? You, 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 you describe God something else because only God is able to say I am. And so that's why when we look into these I am statements of Jesus, it's important to have reverence for why that small phrase I am is so important, okay? So you follow me in John chapter 6, Jesus had just finished feeding 5,000 people, right? He fed a bunch of people. It was a miracle. It was one of his signs that he did while he was on this earth. And then he decided to go ahead and amaze his disciples by walking on water. If you've, you've probably heard of this story, if you grew up in the church a little bit about Jesus walking on water, that's a common thing that everyone kind of knows. And although that was amazing, he had some new disciples that were picked up from the feeding of the 5,000. Okay, people decided to follow Jesus after the feeding of 5,000, but Jesus left. Okay, he went across the sea, walked on water. And so these people were looking for Jesus. These people were like, we need more. Like, where, where in the world did Jesus go? We got to find him. Okay, we got to go find him. And so ultimately they, they go to Capernaum and they see Jesus there. And this is where we pick up the story in John chapter 6, verse 22. It says, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat. They also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. Some boats from the Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And then Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Ouch. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the son of man will give you because God, the father has set his seal of approval on him. What can we do to perform the works of God? They ask. And Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. And look at the audacity, the gall, the nerve that the people say, so, well, what sign then are you going to do so that we can believe you? You can give us some more food? 
What? What are you, you going to perform? And then Jesus, uh, uh, they say, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. Give, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. Give us this pan dulce for us to always be satisfied. And Jesus says, well, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you see me and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and that will raise them up on the last day. What an incredible moment that Jesus is having with people who decided to follow him based off of the miracles of the feeding of, of 5,000 people. And, and I have to ask you, right, uh, have you ever been super hungry before? Has anybody in here ever been to the point where like, man, I am like hungry. I've got, only, why only dudes raising their hand? Oh, and my wife, right, of course. Uh, I, I'm always super hungry, right? My wife knows that every night at a specific time, I get the munchies. It just happens, okay? I turn to her and I'm just like, Man, like I could really go for a snack. And so she looks at her watch and says, 11 o'clock, this sounds about right. Yep. But the cool thing about my wife is that she's usually down for a snack. And she'll say, okay, are we getting nuggets or are we getting a burger? And I said, man, that's not a snack. That's a full meal. <laughs> like I just wanted a snack, right? Uh, but, but she's down and I'm happy, right? But whenever we get hungry, we, we react. We do something in order to satisfy our hunger. It's our body telling us that it needs something. It desires something, right? You're, it starts grumbling. You're like, oh man, like th- my, my body is crying out for something, right? And in a way, Jesus is using this analogy to the people that are following him and saying, hey, you're only here because your bellies are full and you don't want to ever have to be hungry again, physically speaking. But Jesus also knows that this is a great opportunity to emphasize that the hunger that they have on earth is nothing compared to the hunger that our soul is screaming at us to satisfy. There's a physical hunger that we often know and feel. And sometimes we neglect the actual spiritual hunger that our soul is crying out for us to satisfy. And it's important that we take a moment to recognize that we do hunger physically, but more importantly, spiritually, that there's something that most people often say, man, you know, those who, who haven't surrendered life to Jesus, I, I see it all the time, man, what, what is it about this person? Why, like, their life is kind of crappy, and yet they, they, they just seem so joyful. Like, what is it that they have? I hunger for that specific thing that, that they have, right? Or, or what is it about this person that seems to always want to love and care for people around them, regardless of how they treat them, right? But sometimes we only focus on the hunger for temporary things that we don't even think about the eternal hunger. And Jesus shares this in verse 26 and 27, right? He says, truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because of the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled, but don't work for the food that perishes, 
but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. God, Jesus is wanting to give you food, spiritual food that will satisfy every need that you have spiritually, not just physically. And here's the thing is that he goes on to tell him about, you must eat of the bread of life. I am the bread of life. You must drink of the blood. And, and these disciples are listening to this and they're struggling. They're actually getting upset. Well, who, who is this Jesus? Who does he think he is? Isn't he the son of, of Joseph and Mary? We know them. What, is, what does he mean he came down from heaven? Who, who does this guy think he is? How He offers us his body to eat and his blood to drink. That's sick. What are you talking about, man? And Jesus is listening to this and they don't get it, right? And it's easy for us to get. So, so sometimes I don't feel like we give <laughs> enough breaks to the people of the story. Where we're like, well, duh, Jesus is the bread of life, man. You're supposed to... They don't know, okay? They don't realize what is in front of them like we do. We, we're blessed to have scriptures and know Jesus in a specific light and his grace and his love and mercy. But, but these people are just, they're not getting it, right? And mostly because Jesus is speaking in ways that are foreign to them. They're like, what are you talking about? And so they're asking questions and, and, and uh, Jesus, you know, uh, of Jesus and went a lot of trouble to follow and find him. And yet their work was for the food which perishes, things that fill a stomach and rule the earthly kingdoms. But Jesus wanted them to labor for food which endures for everlasting life. And so the question that I have for us is, well, what do you hunger for? What is it that you hunger for in life? For some of us, we hunger for peace from the anxiety or depression that consumes our minds. Maybe you hunger for that one person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, your spouse. Maybe you hunger for a relationship with parents, with a brother, with a sister, or with anybody, we're one of the most loneliest uh, generations that ever existed while being the most connected. It doesn't make sense, but that's, that's the truth. We hunger for that. Maybe you hunger for a career, success, right? That's why you're in college. That's why you're, you're working hard in your, in your academics so you can get a good job and fulfill your hunger for, for careers and success. So all these things are good, not necessarily bad. And I've said this before, but those type of things ultimately won't satisfy or last long really in light of eternity. When you compare these things to eternity, they seem so minute. It doesn't even matter, to be honest. And I'm not saying they're bad things. But when we compare the, different, the difference between eternity and temporary, man, eternity wins every single time. It outweighs it. And Jesus offers himself as the bread of life. He offers himself as the one who will satisfy that hunger. Verse 35 through 37. I am the bread of life. No one come, who comes to me will ever be hungry. No one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you see me and you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. Has anyone here ever felt like an outcast before? Anybody? Yeah, just me? Okay, cool. A few people. Yeah, it's not fun. It's not a, an experience that I enjoy, and it's, and it's happened to me. When I was a, a freshman at the BSM, uh, and in BSMers, woo, yeah, I love the BSM. Uh, that's where I, I uh, really got to pour into the scriptures, and, and, and uh, man, just God really used the people at the BSM to bless me um, in, in my walk with, with him, with Jesus. But there was a moment when I was a freshman at the BSM, and I think it was like my first or second time going. At the, at the time, it was called Choice. 
I know it's called Rejoice now, uh, but at the time it was called Choice. I can't believe I'm able to say at the time it was called Choice. That makes me feel like really sad and old. But I was part of the opening Rejoice. So anyway, um, I remember me and my friends were so, I was wanting to, so desperately to be a part of a core for some reason. And I'm sure there's some BSMers in here that recognize there's a core at the BSM. It's inevitable. It's not what we want. I was a CMI there. We always tried to not make that the case. But inevitably it happened. There was always a group that was large and everyone just kind of wanted to be a part of that group. And that happened to me. I was a freshman. And somehow uh, me and my friends knew that, that after Rejoice, after Choice, whatever, they were going to go to Denny's, right? Uh, and, and so somehow one of my friends said, oh, yeah, this person invited me. We should go. And I was like, oh, he invited you. He didn't really invite us. I'm like, no, no, let's go. And so we pull up to the Denny's. And, and, and we, we walk in and there's like a long table, like they had put tables together and every single seat was taken. And we're just standing there like, oh, oh no, nah. <laughs> like, like, no way, no way. So we literally, I, I even have a photo. We sat in the corner booth until finally someone recognized us and they were like, Hey, you were at the BSM. Like, we invited you. We're like, yeah, yeah, cool. And like, <laughs> and he went back to his seat. Like, like, I'm not even lying. And I felt so embarrassed. I was like, oh man, like I just, I just wanted to be with you guys, right? And, and I just felt so unwanted. I felt so just, I don't know, like I wasn't supposed to be there. I wasn't part of the group. And, and we, I promise you, the BSM is amazing. It's, it's never trying to do that, but inevitably, inevitably it happens. There's a core. And sometimes it just happens. But ultimately, you know, it's okay. We, we were all friends. We eventually got in. No, I'm kidding. But, but we, you know, obviously had our own group of friends and things like that. And it was a blessing. I love the BSM. But, but I felt like, out, like an outcast. And the beauty of the gospel, and this is one of my favorite parts of this whole section, is that Jesus doesn't cast anyone out. Jesus doesn't cast anyone out according to verse 37. And it's full of rich truth that can assure us that nothing could scare or deter Jesus from receiving us into his grace and love. There's a book called uh, Gentle and Lowly. And there's a chapter talking about how Jesus doesn't cast out anybody. And the author quotes another author. His name is John Bunyan, and he goes through this verse. He, he talks about how John Bunyan loved this verse so much, and, and he broke it down in a way that just, man, resonated with me so well. I'm just going to read it to you. He says that there's a mountain of consoling theology packed into this single verse. Consider what Jesus says, and he says, all, not most, in my translation, it says every. Once the Father has set his loving gaze on a wandering sinner, that sinner's rescue is certain. Everyone, all people, all who come, as soon as God sets his eyes on that person, they will be redeemed. The Father, our redemption is not a matter of a gracious son trying to calm down an uncontrollably angry father. The Father himself ordains our deliverance. He takes the loving initiative. Our, the Father is the one that ultimately saves and pursues, and he gives. He doesn't haggle over somebody. The Father's deep delight is to freely entrust the, the rebels into the gracious care of his Son. He lovingly gives to Jesus. 
And he says that they will come, all who will come. God's saving purpose for a sinner is never thwarted. He is never frustrated. He never runs out of resources. If the Father calls us, we will come to Christ. And whoever comes, yet we're not robots. While the Father is clearly the sovereign overseer of our redemption, we're not dragged kicking and screaming into Christ against our will. Divine grace is so radical that it reaches down and turns around our very desires. Our eyes are open, Christ becomes beautiful, and we come to him. And anyone, whoever is welcome, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. And then lastly, comes to me. We do not come to a set of doctrines. We do not come to a church. We do not come to the gospel. All these are vital. But most truly, we come to a person, to Christ himself. What a man. That is, that is so profound. We, we live in a culture that, again, I, and hear me, and he, he's saying it clearly. This is important. Doctrine is important. Theology is important. Recognizing the church, obedience is important. But all of that is to point us to the person of Christ. All of that. And my prayer is that we would not miss that. And then we end the chapter by, by the disciples listening to this. And then <laughs> this is what they say. This teaching is hard. This, this is some hard stuff, right? Verse 60, it says, this is hard. Who, who can accept it? Who, who, who can actually do this, right? And then verse 66 says that from that moment, many of disciples booked it. They turned back and they no longer accompanied him. And then Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and he says, well, well do you want to leave too? And listen to the response that Peter has. Verse 67 says, do you want to go away too? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. How will we respond to that question that Jesus is asking us today? It's hard. I'm not saying following Jesus is easy. But will we recognize the difference between needs and wants? The disciples who left hungered for temporary things and the disciples that stayed saw their need for a savior. One cared about wants, the other cared about needs. How will we respond? My prayer is that we recognize, just like in verse, uh, verses 67 through 69, is that there's nowhere else for us to go. You are everything that we could ever want. Imagine the greatest thing that ever existed. I, we cannot even fathom that we're in your presence right now. Where do you expect us to go? Nothing compares to your love. Nothing compares to what you have done in my life. And I will follow you into the darkest, deepest places because ultimately it'll continue to lead me to you. It'll continue, it'll continue to remind me that you will sustain me in those deepest, darkest moments. Who will you abide by, Jesus? Or will you continue to hunger for the things that are temporary? How will you respond? Will we again focus on the needs? Will we recognize in verse 69 that we, will see, we know and believe that he is the Holy One of God? That is who Jesus is. I am the bread of life. I am 
the Holy One of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this moment. I thank you, Jesus, for reminding us of who you are, the bread of life. I pray ultimately that as we continue throughout the semester and read about who you say you are, that we would submit to that, that we would believe that, that your spirit would convict and move, and that it would ultimately uh, transform us into who you've called us to be. It's in your name we pray and we say, amen.